Good morning. Uh, did anybody just have like a crazy week like I did? Just like, I'm just worn out, right? Um, I, I asked Josh to read that. It started off as a joke this week, actually. Like, I was thinking, like, okay, we're going into Nehemiah 3. And if any of you read ahead into Nehemiah 3, you'll see that I have the, the second toughest task of this whole series. Blake's got the toughest. He'll have a different list of names where it's nothing but names. But I've got a list of names, and it says, so-and-so built this part of the wall. And so-and-so built this part of the wall. And we've committed to verse-by-verse exposition of Scripture, right? So it's not like, okay, well, that part's meaningless. We're going to skip over it because it's just a list of details. But I love what Josh read this morning. And, And I really have been preaching that to myself in my preparation is that all of Scripture is profitable. It's all profitable for teaching, for teaching us what's right, for correcting us, for showing us where we're wrong and then correcting us to, to, to get us to be in right with God and for training in righteousness. It equips us for every good work. And so all of it is profitable. Even a list of names and description of the wall around Jerusalem. And I, I pray that this morning you, you will see that. Last week we saw that after eight months, Nehemiah finally made it to Jerusalem. Eight months ago, God broke his heart, and then from that point forward, we saw how God providentially cared for him, provided for him the means of transportation, uh, protection, uh, provided him with resources. He gets there, and, and we saw how Nehemiah firsthand saw the damage that was done. And then he invited the city to be a part of it. And while chapter 3 may seem like a list of boring details, it deals directly with the theme of this book. This is rebuilding and renewal. It's restoring Israel's dignity, but more than that, glorifying God. Restoring that so that the world would see that. So due to the format of this chapter, I won't bore you to death by doing our normal verse by verse. Because I feel like maybe by the time I got to chapter or verse 14 and I've mispronounced a bunch of names, you'd probably leave because it's, it'd be very monotonous. So we're going to take a different approach this morning and I'm going to focus as we move through this chapter and I'm really just going to focus on the types of people that were involved. We're going to look at the different types of people that were involved in this collaboration for renewal. We'll first see the religious leaders. Then we will see the locals. We'll see the rulers. And then we will see the tradesmen, the merchants. Now, I want to give a disclaimer. That may not be all of the groups of people in this chapter. I may have missed something. It's likely, with the week that I had, in order the time of preparation, it's very likely. But I think what you'll see is, even though I can only pull out four groups of people, the principle is still there. And I think you'll see that as we, as we get to our interpretation. So first, let's look at the religious leaders. Our list of builders starts off with the priests. 
in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. Nehemiah starts with the priests, and I love this. As a pastor, I love to see that the religious leaders, the priests, are the ones starting off this chapter of humbly serving. Especially when we look at verse 5 and see that there was a group of nobles, the upper class folks, who did not participate. And in fact, they're the only ones in this whole chapter that Nehemiah records that did not help. Don't you love that? Don't you love that they are mentioned in the eternal word of God as the ones that, the only group that did not help in this process? I mean, we see so-and-so built this part of the wall, and so-and-so built this gate, and these group of people built the wall from here to here, but the nobles, they thought it was beneath them to do this. They're a bunch of jerks. Remember that eternally. Now, the fact that the priests are listed first doesn't necessarily mean that they were the first to participate. That's possible, but I think it is for sure Nehemiah lists them first for a reason. So we have to ask ourselves, why are the priests mentioned first? Maybe he wants to show the humility of the religious leaders as a priority in this chapter. Maybe his reasoning was order of time. Maybe they were the first to join in on the effort. Maybe it's just coincidence. Or maybe Nehemiah started with something, picked a spot on the wall, and it just so happened to be that's where the priests were working. If you were going to start with a record of the building of the wall around Jerusalem, where might you start if you're Nehemiah? Let's think about what we know about Jerusalem at this time. What has been rebuilt? The temple has been rebuilt. And so maybe this is the center of life for the city. Maybe Nehemiah went there and said, all right, let's pick a spot. Okay, I'm going to go with this, the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate is where you might guess where the sheep are. They're outside of that, and that's where the sheep come into the city for the sacrifice. It's nearby the temple. So maybe that's where he started. And what you see here in this whole chapter is part of the plan of Nehemiah It wasn't very disorganized. It was very organized. And so, like, it starts off with the priests building by the sheep gate, right? It's their their primary place of ministry. That's where they are. And then also what you see about the priests is that's not all they did. Later on in verse 22, we see them mentioned again. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired. And then again in verse 28, above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. What a way to start off this chapter, right? You got a group of guys who not only finished one task, but then they finished two others as part of this rebuilding process. After they finished their initial job at the Sheep Gate, they move on and they find another place they could serve. And if you look just before verse 22, you'll see that where they went next was their brother's backyard, the high priest, Eliashib. They went to his house. And they said, all right, let's go build the wall by Elisha's house. 
And then after that, in verse 28, you'll see that they go to their own backyard. It's part of the plan of Nehemiah. Think about this. If you're building a wall, what, what does that wall symbolize? What does that wall represent? Not only does it represent the, the dignity of the nation and the glory of God, but it's also serving as protection. Remember, Nehemiah said, we are in trouble. We are fully exposed to any attack. Well, if you want to build a good wall, why don't you have everybody build it in their backyard? They're going to make sure that wall is, is properly, the foundation's there, and it's going to prevent anybody from getting in. They have a vested interest in that wall standing against the, uh, the, the opposition. In addition to the priests, and when we're talking about the religious leaders, we also see the Levites mentioned. They're recorded as building part of the wall. To serve as a priest, you had to be a Levite. But just because you were a Levite did not necessarily mean you were a priest. You had to be of the line of, of Levi in order to be a priest. But due to the nature of your bloodline, if you weren't a priest, what you might do is assist the priest. You may prepare the offering. You may work in the temple. So we see these guys as well. In, in verse 17, they, they're seen as repairing the wall. The religious leaders of Jerusalem are part of the renewal process. They're not just teaching in the synagogues. They get out of the synagogues and they go into the street and they work. What I worry about is when we were talking about restoring and rebuilding our city is that we take inventory of our spiritual gifts and we say, that's my role. That's my part of this. So what I'm saying is somebody maybe like me who, who has the gift of teaching and preaching that's my role. I'm going to run in my lane, and I'm going to tell the church how they need to go build. They need to go restore. And that's my part of this mission. Or if, if somebody has the, the gift of generosity, the gift of giving, my role in this is to provide finances. But I'm not going to actually go do the work. That's not my job. That's, that's the job of my brother or sister who had the gift of service. That's not me. Now, we spent a lot of time in Ephesians, talking about the unity of the body, talking about how we are unified in our diversity, that we are very diverse. We have diverse gifts. But that doesn't mean that we're not to reflect the love of Christ, that we're not to, to show humility. We are called as a people to glorify God and to magnify Christ in his totality, every aspect of who he is. So it's not like, oh, I've got the, I've got the love part. I've got the mercy. I've got the grace. We're to be striving to fulfill, to become like Christ in all that he is. So what do we see here? We may be gifted in certain areas where we get great joy from serving in that capacity. But that doesn't mean we don't humble ourselves to help rebuild. And I love that the priests are seen doing that. We see here in Nehemiah 3 that the religious leaders weren't bound to their chambers. They weren't bound to their books. But they got out and they worked. They humbled themselves to rebuild. Another group of people we see are the local residents. We'll call them the locals. In verse 2, we see one group of local residents. It says, And next to him the men of Jericho built. Now can we just pause for a moment 
and think about the irony of that statement. How many of you have ever worked on a construction site? Either like a large industrial or maybe just residential. Think about the, the joking that happens, right? Where we pick on one another. Sometimes very crude jokes in that setting, but nonetheless, they're joking. You think these guys had jokes thrown their way while they were rebuilding this wall? I mean, I could just picture like one of the, one of the priests maybe even because the priests were the ones that blew the trumpet when you, when you go back and read the history in Joshua. Maybe a priest walks by and like blows a trumpet in one of their ears. And like, hey. Somebody walks by and says, hey, make sure you're doing a good job with this wall. I, I don't know this to be true, and I don't want to imply this to be true, but I wonder if that wall, that portion of the wall that those men built was the best part of that wall. They wanted to make sure that wall was not coming down. And with all the joking that was happening, we're going to shut these guys up. But we see the men of Jericho, and we know that they're local residents because in Ezra chapter 2, it's recorded that there were about 300 sons of Jericho that came up out of the Babylonian captivity and returned to Jerusalem. They're there. They're living there. And they built the northeast portion of the wall. That's where the sheep gate was, and they built the wall next to it right by where they're, where they're living. It's in their backyard. Same plan. It's not just the men of Jericho. There are also other local guys with very difficult names to pronounce. That's why I didn't ask Josh to read the whole chapter for you. That would have been hard. That would have been tough. I'll give it my best. But Verse 3 mentions the sons of Hassanah who built the fish gate. If the sheep gate is where the sheep come in, the fish gate is where the fish come in, Right? And that particularly, they're coming from Jordan, from the Sea of Galilee. That's where these fish are coming in from. So they just named it that. Verse 4 mentions Merimoth and Meshulam and Zadok. And there was also the Tekoites, who are about 10 miles south in Judah. Reminder, their nobles weren't there. They were a bunch of jerks. But the Tekoites, like the priests, were one of those overachieving groups, too. See, they, they finished their task, and then they found something else to do. They wanted to be uh, part of the process even more than what they initially started off. So we see them later on in verse 27, rebuilding another portion of the wall. Now, I point all these out to you because remember what we studied last week in Nehemiah 2. When Nehemiah issues his invitation, what does he say? Let us build the wall. Nehemiah gathered the people of Jerusalem and said, be a part of the solution. He invited them to be a part of this process, to restoring their own dignity and then also restoring the glory of God that was seen because they were God's people. In chapter 3, we see the response to that invitation. Sure, immediately we saw where people were like, yeah, let's go build. They, they said it. But here we actually see them getting to work. We've got to correct this mindset that we have that says, I've got the solution. I recognize the problem, and I can fix it. It's difficult because we want to help. We want to help so bad, and we see problems, and we, can, we know I've got the solution for that. I think about 
my brothers and sisters in Wihangiri, in Kenya. Now, a lot of you are familiar. I've, I've mentioned before how, you know, instead of building homes for themselves, they built a place of worship first. That was their priority. Now, imagine we were to go before, the, before, the, before their place of worship was built, and we look at their situation. Our culture says the greatest need they have right now is to get out of these tents, that they've, the tattered tents that they've been living in. And we've got the resources and the capacity to do so, so let's start building them houses. And so we pour slab, we frame it, black it in, we put shingle roof on it, got a nice little three-bedroom, no bath because they don't have plumbing there. Maybe 1,800 to 1,000 square foot home. Let's say we put vinyl siding on it, I don't know. Okay, problem number one, that's completely unnecessary. They don't need that. Problem number two is you may look at that nice little cute home. Maybe you, got, maybe you pulled a Chip and JoJo and you put shiplap everywhere and you've got the, the, the sliding barn door, hardwood floors, everything looks good, right? To them, it may be repulsive. Their homes, their buildings, they're like stone cinder block concrete. If they do have a floor, it's stained concrete. And for whatever reason, the only roofs I can remember are red tin roofs. That's what they have. That shingle stuff, that may look terrible to them. And you say, well, but they they needed a place to live. Well, problem number three, and probably the, the biggest problem of all, is we took it upon ourselves in that situation to fix the issue that we saw. We saw housing as the issue. Their culture says we have many needs, but our primary need is a place of worship. So we spent all of our resources, all of our energy, and we built them homes, and that very home that we built for them may become a place of contempt. It may actually cause them to stumble. How can I live in this building when we don't even have a place to worship? But we had the solution, right? The same principle is true in our city. Our neighbors need to be a part of the solution. We need to listen to them. How many times, if you were at Merge Conference yesterday, how many times did we hear that? We've got to listen to our neighbors. We've got to listen to them tell us what their needs are. Because it does no good to hit number 50 on their list. Number one was the place of worship, right? In Kenya. When we talk about Christian community development, as we heard a lot of talk yesterday, you got to start with listening, not working. So we had the religious leaders who humbled themselves to get out of the synagogues, into the streets. Then we see the neighborhood, the locals joining in in the process of repairing the city, restoring their own dignity, not doing for them what they can do for themselves. Then we see the rulers. In verse 9, there's ruler of half the district of Jerusalem. Then in 12, we see the ruler of the other half of the district of Jerusalem. 
And it says he was repairing the wall with his daughters. Now, the scholars are 50-50 on this interpretation. Some say it was his actual daughters, which is a really cool picture for us, right, if, if that's the case, that he included his family as part of the rebuilding process, specifically the, the young ladies, the women, who normally wouldn't have been part of this. And it's because of that fact that the other scholars will say he's actually referring to the cities who are under his rule. I don't know which is true. But he included other people, the ruler included other people with him. Another ruler in verse 14 repaired the dung gate. How awesome is that? You've got a, a high political figure. Maybe he drew the short straw. I don't know. But he's there repairing the dung gate. That was his job. You see another ruler in verse 15 and verse 16 and verse 18. I think you get the point. It isn't just the religious leaders, and it isn't just the local community that's rebuilding. When you talk about the rulers, these aren't like kings. Because remember, there's one king. All of this land falls under the rule of Persia at this time. But they are responsible for their specific parts of this province. They're rulers, they're the, the rule makers, the political figures. The political figures of our city need to be a part of the solution. And so as agents of change and reconciliation, that's what Nehemiah was, right? And that's what we're striving to be. Once we've listened to our neighbors and we've identified their needs and seen the issues that they face, we need to go on their behalf to our, our leaders, whether it be city, state, or federal and represent them. Fight for their justice. They were involved in the rebuilding. They should be the part of the rebuilding in our day as well. The last group that I'm going to focus on is the tradesmen, the merchants. We see people that were perfumers, goldsmiths, business owners, they too played a significant role in this rebuilding process. To think someone who made perfume for a living was part of this construction project, that gives somebody like me hope. <laughs> you know, I'm not, like, I'm not like Mr. Carey. I'm not like Troy. I, f I feel like Jason Derrick lives at Lowe's. Every time I've been there, which has not been many times, he's always been there. He's always doing something. He's building something. My wife once described me as useless with tools. I mean, I've got a cushion job. I sit in a, in a computer chair all day. I look at Excel spreadsheets, love it. That's me. And when I'm not there, I'm, I'm in a book reading, preparing, talking to people. Fixing things? I mean, there's a guy outside right now working on his car. <laughs> okay, what do I do? I mean, how many times have I been in this situation? I can't help you, but I want to show concern. So I walk up. Everything going all right? Yeah, I got to pull out the starter. That stinks. <laughs> I don't, what do I want to say? <laughs> but to see perfumers playing a part in this process... That tells me that, you know what, 
even though I'm really good at if, then, if, and statements and Excel formulas and pivot, t- you know, all that stuff that we do in Excel, and I, I, I can do that, and I can crunch numbers, give you cash flow, whatever you want. I can pick up something. I could help. I can give you a wrench. Now, if you give me some specific wrench, I may have to ask you what it looks like, but I can give it to you. The tradesmen and the merchants, the business owners, they've got resources too. They've got ability. And we see that they play just as big a role as the local residents, the religious leaders in this rebuilding process. What we see here is that God uses all types of people in the establishment of his glory. All types. And we know that God does that so that his glory would be seen by all types of people. That's the overarching theme of this passage is it's not just, oh, they built this part of the wall and they built this part of the wall. It'd be really cool. Some of you, if you want to, and you're into this kind of stuff, maybe try to figure out what it looked like. I mean, there's a specific part of the wall that says, I, th- I want to say it's like a specific measure of cubits. And I actually looked up and converted it. And like, okay, well, that's, I think it was like 500 yards is what they built. That's pretty cool. Draw a diagram. That's not the purpose of this. That's not, that's not the capital A authorial intent. What God is trying to communicate is, I will use all types of people to, to glorify myself. And we've seen that over and over throughout Scripture, right? I mean, think about Pharaoh in Egypt. You think God was glorified in his hardened heart and when he poured out all that wrath on them? Absolutely. You, you look at the shepherd David who becomes king. I mean, look at the two, the, the two, the dichotomy there. You think God was glorified in him? Yes. You think God's glorified in, in foster parents? Absolutely. You think God's glorified in somebody teaching ESL classes? Absolutely. You think God's glorified in the mother who stays at home and takes care of her kids? Yes. God, God is concerned with that. Sorry. Passionate about God's glory. God uses all types of people to establish his glory so that all types of people would know him. What does that mean for us today? From a very practical standpoint, when we talk about restoring our city and specifically our neighborhood in the city, it takes all of us. It will take the religious leaders. It will take the church. It will also take our neighbors. They have to be a part of the solution. I love what we saw in Nehemiah last week. Where we need to get to the place where it's not they need to be a part of the solution, but we are a part of the solution. Nehemiah left his place of comfort. His heart was broken. He goes and he's in the ruins. And he, he lived with them, saw firsthand the damage as he inspected the wall and said, come, let us build. It will also take our rulers, our rule makers, our political system. We, the church, are agents of change. So we should be going to our city officials on behalf of the neglected and put it in their face, right? 
hey, this is what's going on out there. This is what's happening. Yesterday we heard an example of that where in the city of Austin, they've, they went to the political leaders and they've recently passed, passed a bill that will prevent predatory lending, payday loans, charging them 300 to 400%. As a banker, I've seen the terrible results of that. People who so desperately just are trying to to fix the problem. And they've gone to a payday loan place. And they can't catch up. As much as they try, they can't catch up. And when they can't catch up, their credit goes down. And then nobody else can lend them money. Natalie's a social worker, and she came to me one time. One of her clients was going through this. <laughs> and it was like the first or second time they had gotten a loan. I said, you've got to tell them to stop. You've got to tell them to stop because that is a cycle that will not end until they, they, they can't do anything. We need to go to our political leaders and fight for those who are neglected, for those who are exploited, It also take tradesmen, tradeswomen, business owners, merchants. We all have a role to play. Some of us might be the Nehemiahs of this story. You know, Nehemiah, we don't see his name recorded here, right? Now, I'm sure Nehemiah had part of the planning, I mean, part of the rebuilding. Like he did stuff, but he doesn't record his name. Now, it kind of shows you his character. If he did, then he didn't talk about it. It wasn't his focus. But what we, what we do know about Nehemiah is that he pulled all of these people together. When he, when he gave out his invitation, he said, let us build a wall. There were people from all walks of life. Some of us may need to do that. Some of us may have connections and be able to pull people together to do this, to rebuild, to restore our city. We all have a role to play. Another point of application is to recognize the significance that you have and the significance of your brother and sister and the purpose of glorifying God. I feel like all too often we write ourselves off. Well, I can't do this. I can't do that. Maybe it's because of personality issues, social skills, inexperience, Ability, and we think, oh, that's not my role. Misha can lead a construction site, he can manage the thing. I can go pick up the lumber, (laughs) that's about it, but I can do it. That's just as significant as the one that's running the operation. Somebody has to do that part of it. So don't look down on your brother or sister or on yourself for your role because your role may be the dung gate. Do it well. Because while it may not seem glorious to man, it is absolutely glorious to God and he is put on full display when we do it well.
one final word as we conclude. I've been praying that this study would move us to compassion. I know we've talked about that a lot, that we would just, we would get past sympathy and that we would be moved into action. I think we've seen clearly that God's intentions are to glorify himself in, the, in his character of restoration, of reconciliation in the world around us. Our church exists so that we may make much of God in our neighborhood and to the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ. It is because of what Christ has done for us and what the Spirit is doing in us that this will be accomplished. That is our purpose. That's why we exist. Why are we playing around with all this other stuff? Part of my prayer is that this would not just be your Sunday dose of Bible study and singing, but that it would be transformative in your life. That you would strive to become more like Christ. That you would intentionally consider what we're talking about and how you might apply it. Blake and I want to see you look like Jesus so that God will be made much of. That's our desire. So when we labor in the Word, even on a week where I have two nights to prepare, it's that end. It would have been very easy for me to just, oh, I'm just going to wing it. It's just a list of names. But it's because I want to see what God's going to do in our church, how he's going to restore the city outside of these walls. So please continue to pray how you might manifest this part of his character, how you might manifest the restoration nature of God. What does that look like for you and your family? Don't let this season pass you by. This is a very important time in our church history. Lowercase c, church history. And I pray that it would affect the capital C, church history. That God would do something here in Sulphur, Louisiana that would make him known in our neighborhood and to the nations. Everybody, this is who our God is. This is how great he is. So let's be obedient.